Turn to Philippians, book of Philippians. We are in our third week, even though we had a little uh, in between there with share. And we're in our third week, so we're in Philippians chapter 3 as you turn there tonight. The first week we talked about the Macedonian call that Paul mentions that he is heading in one direction and he's going to preach the gospel over here. The Holy Spirit stopped him that night. He has a dream. He has a call from what the Bible talks about as the Macedonian man saying, come over and help us. It was a dream vision that he had, vision I think actually. And so, so God is steering Paul to come to a place called Philippi, which was one of the largest, wealthiest cities of that area of the world at the time. He plants a church, and as we've mentioned before, but it behooves to mention again, Paul loved this church. He had a very strong connection with this church, and as he's writing this from a jail cell in Rome, and he's been placed in jail. We know he got put in jail in in Philippi, but he's writing this letter from a, a jail cell, and it's been about 11 years since he's actually been back to this church. And in Philippians uh, 3, we are going to look at verse 1. And that's going to be our anchor text. We'll talk about some other verses in there. But Philippians 3.1 is our text. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Everybody say safeguard. Tonight I want to talk about joy. Everybody say joy. Joy Joy is and can be a safeguard for you in your life. And uh, how many when you leave the house, there are some essentials that you feel like you need to take with you? Anybody have some essentials? Of course you do. It's like I thought of that old, uh, I don't even remember what it was. Somebody can help me out because as soon as I say it, you guys are going to remember. Don't leave home without it. Thank you, American Express. That was quick, Rich. You were right on that. Don't leave home without it. And I want to talk tonight about our joy. There in Philippians, uh, there, if you do the numbers, and I have, and I've, as I've studied this and read what other scholars and theologians have said about the book, one common theme is joy. One common theme is joy. Because 20% of the scriptures in the book of Philippians deals with joy. 20%. So it's a very real thing that we can find ourselves at times losing our joy. Amen? I said recently to the Lord, this has been a few weeks ago, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, this situation and this stuff going on is stealing my joy. And as I sat down, I felt just a thought come to my mind, and I believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart in that moment. And he said, nothing's stealing your joy. You're giving it away. Because I want to tell you something tonight. If the world didn't give it, the world can't take it away from you. If the world didn't give it, then the world can't take it away. And Paul is saying here, right at the open of Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he's letting these dear, precious people, and I talked the last time in Philippians chapter 2, of how Philippians really is a mirror of what a maturing church and believers look like when you read it from a chapter one all the way through chapter four four chapters we'll finish next week in chapter four but when you read this you begin to understand that this really is a mirror when you read it of what a maturing believer looks like here as he goes into verse two three and then on down for the rest of the verses and we'll get into this at the end 
one of the things that will steal your joy is getting into man's religion. Amen? I'm telling you, getting, not religion in a good sense, not discipline, not, you know, applying yourself to spiritual disciplines of giving and reading your Bible and praying and coming to church and all the things that make up a growing Christian. But people coming in from the outside saying, well, here's the reason you don't have joy. You don't have joy because you aren't doing these same religious things that I am. I want to tell you tonight very clearly and very upfront from the very beginning, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It really is. We're going to talk about that tonight. But he lays out here the importance of joy in the believer's life and how that joy can be a safeguard. And we've all had those moments. Everybody in here can share this where we've had those moments where in those days and maybe those days turn into weeks and maybe those weeks even turn into months where we look around at our circumstances and maybe say, and I, again, I said this out loud, God, these circumstances are stealing my joy. And I came to the conclusion that nothing can steal my joy. I have to consciously decide to give that joy away. And there are some essentials in our Christian life. And one of the essentials that Paul is laying out here is that we are to be people who have joy operating in our lives. If you're without strength, if you're anxious, if you're frightened, if you're worried, if you have anything going on in your life tonight, I want to encourage your heart that God wants to fill you with joy because it is an essential I lose my essentials when I'm going to walk out the door probably more than anybody else in this room. And I do what most of you men do. I blame my wife. When I can't find my keys, it's Leah's fault. If my wallet's missing, Leah, did you take my wallet? Come on, guys, anybody else? Ladies, do your your husbands do that? Absolutely, Rich, put that hand up high. Don't be ashamed, brother. I, I see that hand, brother. I see that hand. So Leah decided... We got this new piece of furniture probably two years ago or so, and it's right by the door, and it has a drawer right there. And literally, this was like a big-time meeting in my house. She called me over, and she said, here's what I'm going to do. I said, what are you talking about? She said, when you walk in the door, I want you to take your keys, your wallet, and anything that is essential for you to go back out in and do what you need to do during the course of a day. I'm gonna, I want you to put it in this drawer. And I want you to open that drawer when you're walking out and collect all your things. Church, my point is simple. We sometimes forget that joy is an essential to Christians. Paul feels like he is, and he's saying, I'm telling you again. I'm reminding you. I'm letting you know that this is such a key ingredient to a believer's life. And we'll get into in a minute the difference between happiness and joy. You may have come in here tonight and you say, I'm just not happy. Happy is an emotion. Joy is a person. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. So oftentimes we get mixed up on what it really means to have true joy because joy can remain with us if we don't forget to literally almost, for lack of a better word, Put it on or put it in your pocket or remember that before you ever walk out the door, every single... I'll go one step further. Before you open your social media Facebook page, you better get some joy in your heart. (laughs) Amen? Before you click on the news 
and drink your coffee, you better get with God and say, God, I want you to fill me with joy today. Joy doesn't have to do with your circumstances. It has to do with a person. And I found a place in my life, and especially recently, where I've looked around and I've said, God, this is stealing my joy and that's taking my joy and this, this isn't something that I feel like I have in my life. And the Holy Spirit just came and just gently reminded me that it's not about your circumstances tonight. It's about the truth of God's Word. And Paul, like a father, how many have kids that you've got to remind them of stuff all the time? Come on. Amen. I tell my kids all the time before they ever leave the house. i got four things that I usually tell them. I won't repeat them here. Not that they're bad, but I tell them every single time. I think if you could hear the voice of the father and the voice of Paul writing who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, I think we would hear the Holy Spirit say to us, He wants us to be wrapped in joy. Amen. He wants us to have the joy of the Lord. He wants us to, for that strength, Paul's reminding them like a good father. I've already told you this, but let me remind you again. And joy is a very central theme of what Paul is talking about. So he's implying that if you're even going to leave the house, you're going to need to take joy because the world is waiting to smack you in the face as soon as you walk out the door. Amen? Some of you are like, I don't leave my house except for church. Well, I do, and the world can be rough. Amen? If you don't take joy, if you don't take joy with you, here's what, I won't talk about you, I'll talk about myself. I can usually, usually kind of gauge where my joy is because if I'm getting pessimistic, if I'm getting, I don't even want to talk about just, I think we think the opposite of joy is like somehow depression. And how many have ever noticed that you can just begin to look at the way you're talking about situations and understand if you have the joy of the Lord or not. The way you're talking to people. In other words, when you're talking to people, just pessimism and anger and, and all these things begin to come out of you, you can step back and I'm telling you that I'm telling you that joy is an integral part because when I have the joy of the Lord, when I'm really with Him and I'm being filled with His joy, I don't look at the world the way everybody else looks at the world. I don't look at my circumstances the way everybody else looks at their circumstances. I am filled with joy. Has anybody ever, anybody else ever noticed that Jesus and joy usually aren't talked about in the same sentence? They're, they're not. Here, here's how Jesus is often interpreted, interpreted. Jesus, mission and purpose. Heaven or hell. Turn or burn. Purity and holiness. As a matter of fact, a lot of people, when they begin to talk about Jesus, and it's the reason why I think Paul goes from that first verse and begins to talk about a segment that was evidently there present in the Philippian church that he's trying to warn them of. Because oftentimes, when people start to talk about Jesus, they get this really somber look. Looks like they've been drinking dill pickle juice. I mean, just this, yes, Jesus. And can I tell you? If we're going to be representatives of who he really is, then there has to be a joy unspeakable and full of glory that's evident in our lives. And church, I'm going to get to this in a minute, but I'll say it and I'll say it again. I am one of those people that live in both. Anybody else live in both the places? What I mean by that is I live in a place where I look at my life and I, or I, I look at my circumstances and I say, well, Lord, you said you would never leave me or forsake me, but it sure feels like I'm alone. Come on. I'm being real with you. Lord, 
I, I know you promised healing, but it sure seems like this battle against this cancer or battle against this, you know, going on in my life is really heated. In other words, oftentimes we'll say one thing, but the joy isn't present right then in our lives. Everybody say choose. choose. I want to tell you tonight that not only does God want you to experience genuine joy, God wants you to choose joy. It's an essential. It is something that you shouldn't leave home without. And Paul here is reminding them several times to the book of Philippians on the subject of true joy. He birthed this church and he felt a parental responsibility to tell them the truth of having the joy of the Lord in our lives. Number one today, I want to talk to you about, is if you find your life without joy, you first need to remember to reset. Everybody say reset. Reset. Listen to me for just a few minutes. If you, and I'm talking from experience here, even recently, if you find yourself in a place where you say, man, my joy is just gone, my joy has left the building. I didn't take it with me. It's an essential, I know. I believe what you're saying, Pastor, that this is really a very important and integral part of my walk with the Lord is to be filled with joy. I didn't say happiness. I'm talking joy. But sometimes we need to remember to just reset. It's like you can spend some of your days just kind of gloomy, and then you begin to, not even before you realize it, start to get down and just a little bit of, of, of the, the mully grubs, as my pastor used to call them, just a little bit of under, under a cloud, just a little bit of just feeling that way, just a little bit, you know, before you know it. And here's what I want to tell you is these things can not only affect you emotionally and spiritually, this can affect you physically. I'm telling you tonight that, that being under a cloud all the time Being under the difficulty and allowing your circumstances to rule over you will actually put you in a bad physical place. Some of you are dealing with physical problems because if you trace the root, it's because you've allowed the devil to talk you into being gloomy and doomy about everything and forget about who he is. Forget about the fact that he is still risen tonight right here as we sit here and he's still on a throne and he still wants to give you his joy. Think about it. The reason I say reset is if you look at the life of Christ himself, he raised the dead, he cast out devils, he opened blind eyes, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, he fed thousands of people at a time as he broke the bread and blessed it, and they passed out all the food, two different occasions, probably more than that, they're just not maybe recorded. You see all that, but it says very clearly in the word that Jesus still had to remove himself and go to a solitary place and get with God because even the living son of God needed to get away for a little bit. And what does this mean in a practical way to reset? For you, it just may mean, it may mean take a walk. It, it might mean just shut off the phone and the TV and all the distractions and just go somewhere and get with your father because in Jesus' instance... He got with the Father, and every time he got with the Father, he wasn't worried about the cross. It says, for the joy 
that was set before him, God was giving him a picture of what the result of the of the difficult season and the difficult time and the place he would have to go and pay for our sins when he hung on the cross. It said for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross despising its shame. So in a very real sense, God was reminding him. And when you get with God, he refocuses you on the fact that you have a father that is in control of everything. You have a father that, yes, we may look around and we may get you know, depressed or sorrowful or even a little anxious or fearful and all those emotions that we find. And we can finally get back with God just like Jesus did and to remember to reset and get with God because he will fill you with joy. That came from moments where he would get alone and reset himself. For some of you, it may mean getting away for a few days. Just come back. Right? Some of y'all husbands are going to go home and say, Yeah, Pastor, don't go hunting for a week. I'll see, you. I'll see you in December. When's that Christmas party at CCC? I always enjoy that Christmas party. Let me ask you a question tonight. Where are you looking to find joy? Where are you looking to find the joy? Because oftentimes we say, Well, I get joy from my kids. I get joy from my spouse. I get joy from my work. I get joy from, you know, going to a football game. I get joy from all the... And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. None of those things in and of themselves are wrong for them to bring us a level of joy. Nothing wrong with it. But here's the truth. Listen to me very closely. Here's the truth. If the source of your joy is not God you're probably always going to be found wanting because we have a tendency to confuse happiness with joy. If the source of your joy isn't God, then you're going to confuse joy with happiness, and we confuse the two. Here's what it is. Happiness is an emotion, but joy is something spiritual, and God never intended for your emotions to lord over your spirit, but rather your spirit lord over your emotions. Are you hearing me? Emotions are a great slave, but a horrible master. Does anybody testify to that? They do great when they serve you in a spiritual way. And, and the reason, reason happiness isn't joy because joy is tied into a person and joy is tied into the truth of God's word. And joy is something that God can fill you with in a supernatural way to where it doesn't have anything to do with your circumstances. You are a spirit. Mention this already. You are a spirit with a body that manifests emotions. And that here's what that means. That means if you start with Jesus Christ, that joy is not a thing, but it is a person. And when you get Jesus in your life, there's a joy that comes with that. And as the joy is being made manifest, here's what you start to tell your emotions. Here's what I tell my emotions. It comes from Psalm 43. It says, this is a question at the beginning of Psalm 43, verse 5. Soul, why are you disquieted within me? You will hope in God, for I will yet praise the Lord who gives me a healthy countenance. We get in our heads. That's where the emotions come from. We get in our heads. We get worried. We get anxious. We get fearful. And this can be dangerous because it's not only affecting you spiritually and mentally, it is really affecting you sometimes physically. 
it's not a head problem that you have tonight. When I told the Lord that and said, Lord, these things are stealing my joy, I felt like the Holy Spirit came back and said, no, you're giving your joy away. Because when you look at it from a biblical perspective of who joy is, joy is a person. And we don't have a head problem. We have a Jesus problem. We get disconnected from him. And he is to be the source If there's one thing that I have endeavored to teach my kids now, they're 17, as of yesterday, 17 and 14. One thing that I've endeavored to teach my kids is to know who their source is. Parents in here, teach your kids. And they have to see that modeled in your life. They have to see dad be under stress in life and be under difficult circumstances and, and not be doing well maybe physically or not have some things going on that, that they can see very plainly. And I've always done this. I, I get our family together, and if we have a particular need, I remember one time, I've shared this before, but I remember one time in particular that we, I said, guys, there's, there's a financial need that we have as a family, and I want all of us to agree, and I won't do this often, but I said, I want us, I want us to agree on that. I felt led by the Holy Spirit to get my family together. And we pray about all kinds of stuff. Um, but in this particular instance, I... I I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to do this. He was going to show my kids of who he was as the source. And I said, guys, I'm not going to ask anybody for this. I'm not going to tell anybody. Us four are the only ones that know it. Within four days, I opened the mailbox. Four or five days, I opened the mailbox in a completely, totally unexpected. Be in a relationship with people who hear from the Holy Spirit. (laughs) This This is a side note. Amen. Be in relationship with people who hear from the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how do you do that? You ask him. You spend time with him. I know the voice of my wife like nobody else in this room. (laughs) Because when I'm screaming, where are my keys? I hear her scream back, where you left them? (laughs) You dummy. I know that voice. Open up the mailbox, and when, when I walked in, I said, guys, I want to gather you around. I want, you to sh- I want to show you the man of... So I'm showing them who my source is. I'm connecting that God is real, and he is, by the way. <laughs> Jesus is real, y'all. And when you pray, how does this tie into joy? If you look at joy as just your emotions, well, I'm happy, because there's things that make us happy. There's, you know, when things are... Here it is. And the reason this is important in context of Philippians is simply that Paul is writing this from a jail cell. <laughs> he is not in his lazy boy at home, typing out a letter to the Philippian church. They know that he's in prison. They know he's in prison for following Jesus. They know that he is in a place where he's up against the Roman government. Paul didn't know how this was going to turn out. He kept saying, God is going to deliver me. Paul knew something very powerful. It didn't matter if he was delivered physically. He had been delivered spiritually on the cross. It already happened, and he entered into it by faith. So he knew it didn't matter what they did to the body. His soul is secure in heaven because he was saved. He was delivered and he knew that. So circumstances couldn't affect the joy that he felt towards this Philippian church and they knew he's in jail. So he's saying, I'm reminding you again, rejoice in the Lord 
always, there's some essentials before you ever walk out the door that you should begin before you walk out to lift your hands and begin to praise God for breath in your lungs and a roof over your head and food on the table and shoes on your feet. Because honey, let me tell you something. There are a billion people out there that would love to trade places with you. That's a good reminder tonight too. It's not to make you feel bad about what you have. I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Blessed beyond anything I could ever think or imagine God has blessed my life. But Paul begins in the next few verses to begin to lay out some people that had infiltrated evidently the church. And they must have done this to every church the man planted. And I think it's why he got so frustrated. Frustrated enough that in the next verse he calls them dogs. You know what dogs love to do? Devour and bite and destroy. I'm not talking about domesticated. My dog, my precious Labrador would never do any of those things. Never. But have you ever been around a pack of wild dogs? I have on the mission field many times in the garbage dumps. Mean, snarling, biting each other. Trying to be leader of the pack. These people had infiltrated the church. And and here's why I think Paul starts off chapter 3 and then goes into a discourse about people who were trying to take away people's genuine joy. And I came to tell you tonight that when you come to God, we believe that God is what? The source of love because it says God is love. Amen? Amen. We believe God is a source of power because it says God is all-powerful. Amen? But why is it when we come to God, we cannot relate to the fact that you're coming to a God who is full of joy? Can can I be so brave? I won't be so brave. I'll just tell you how exactly it is. You're coming to a happy God. Are you listening to me? You're coming to a God that's full of joy. So if we believe He's a source of power and He can fill you with His power, we believe He's a source of love and you can ask God and He's the source and He can fill you with love in the same way that He is the very source of joy because God is full of joy. You say, Pastor, give me a Bible for that. I'll give you a Bible. Jesus gave a parable of someone who owned a, a, a vineyard. He owned a large farm. Let's just call it what it was, a big farm. And he calls all the people together and he says, okay, I'm going to give you this many talents. Talents was a form of money. I'm going away. And he calls these three servants to him and he says, I'm going to give you 10. I'm going to give you whatever it was. I'm paraphrasing. But he says, I'm going to give you these things. And while I'm gone, I want you to go out. And, and we miss the point. Certainly the point is that we use what God has invested in us God has made an investment in everybody in this room, and he expects a return on the investment. We're to take what God has naturally given us and and discipline ourselves and focus on growing and being who God called us to be. But the part of the story that we miss is the last man who, when the master comes back and he calls them all into account, and he looks at the one that had five and he makes ten and gave four and he made eight. In other words, he's saying, well done. But the last one comes to him and he says, you know what? I really believe that you are very harsh and demanding and mean. So I was afraid and I took what I had and I buried it. And the point we miss is Jesus is giving this parable because people misunderstand who God is all the time. 
And let, let me clue you in on something else. I am going to continue to preach the goodness of God. I'm going to continue to preach the truth of who He is. And you say, yeah, but God is a God of wrath. He is. He's a holy God. But I read my Bible and I understand who had the wrath poured out on Him. His name's Jesus. Because I couldn't take the wrath. But He could. So it's a misunderstanding of the very nature of God. And I think nothing offends God more than we come to Him and says, God, you know, I'm going to hide away from you because I don't want you to come and blast me with some lightning bolts, right? If we understood who God really is, there's nothing that would keep you from coming to Him except for fear, shame, and guilt. Are you listening to me tonight? You don't have joy because you're afraid of coming into the presence who is the source of joy. You don't have it because you're afraid of coming in and asking God for something that you don't think is important. But I came to tell you tonight, if Paul said at the beginning of chapter 3 of Philippians that rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and 20% of the passages are about joy, I have a question for you tonight again. Where is your source of joy? It's not in the car that you drive, and it's not in the house you live in, and it's not in anything, it's not in my kids, and it's not even in my wife. Nobody should carry that burden. Nobody should. Now, Leah would tell you she gets joy-filled every time she's around me. She'll tell you that. She'll stand right up here and tell you. It's just, just joy. She sees me. It's just joy, unspeakable. Sometimes she doesn't even speak to me for a couple of days. It's just so, that's joy, right? Right? That's joy. Man, I, I wonder, again, because I think when we begin to talk about Jesus, we talk in terms of accepting or rejecting him. And that's true. Everybody listening to me? You, you have a choice even tonight to reject him or invite him into your life to be Lord. But when we begin to talk about Jesus, one of the last things we ever get to is the fact that Jesus loved a good laugh. Are you listening? You say, how can you prove that? He made me. And he made you, George. You're a prime example. Listen. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we take that and we say, okay, the joy that God possesses, he can give me a little bit of it to help me get through my day. But actually what it's saying is the joy that he possesses is the thing that causes you to be strengthened. It's not just the joy he provides. It's the joy God possesses. Are you hearing me tonight? It'll help you from becoming weary and well-doing. It'll help you to understand that when you come into the presence of God, you're coming into the very presence of joy. Again, for the joy that was set before him. God in Genesis 1, he created the heavens and the earth and goes through all seven days and says each day, that's good. He wasn't just saying, I do good work. He's saying, man, this brings me pleasure. I wonder how often we look over our life and give, us our, give ourselves permission to have pleasure. Just, just to sit back occasionally and look around and, and count your blessings. To sit back and realize of all God has done for you, all the things He's protected you from that you don't even have a clue of. All the ways that He's brought you through. 
Listen, in my younger years, from 13 to 23, I, I should have been dead many times. And I look back in just awe, and I, and I say to God regularly, and I think I feel how Paul felt in the rest of this passage, because when we talk about joy, we think that it's wrapped up in circumstances, and it's not. It really is a person. And, and this is scientific. This, these are case studies that were literally done that I ran into here a few months ago that I was fascinated by. I was absolutely fascinated by this. Scientifically speaking, people who, don't, who, who say, I don't have joy, I'm in an area of darkness and maybe gloom and depression, 10%, 10% of those people, it was not tied to their, it was tied to their circumstances, 10%. it had to do with their DNA. Are you hearing me tonight? Listen, you have a mom and dad. And mom and dad play a part in your personality. Are you hearing me? So if 10% is tied to circumstances, it's a scientific study, 10% tied to circumstances, 50% tied to the way that you're just wired. It's important. It's incredibly important, the way God created you and who he is. But listen to me. 40%. 40%. Let me look at it. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. 40%. Yes, 10% was external circumstances. 50% was personality. And another 40%, everybody say mindset. It was a mindset. Listen, joy is a choice that you have to make. That's what Paul's telling them. It's a choice. Again, Philippians 3.1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again as it is a safeguard for you. 40% of how you are affected in the realm of joy is a choice that you get to make. So, choose joy. Some things when you're leaving the house, you just have to stop and say, God... I'm going to choose in this day to worship you no matter what comes my way, no matter what circumstance. Listen, he said safeguard because it's a safeguard, not a suggestion that he's making. It's a safeguard for us. It's a command. Maybe, that, maybe you can understand that better. Maybe it's a command to choose joy that he's making in this instance. Secondly, And this is why I think he goes into explaining what can steal our joy within the context of our relationship with God. Don't negate something you believe with a defeater belief. If we are to choose joy, and that's what I'm presenting to you, is it really is a choice. Some of it's the way you're made up. Some of us are just naturally inclined more towards seeing the glass half empty, right? How many see that glass half empty? Amen. You're just... Thank you, Rita, for being honest. My hands up. So y'all are optimists. Who sees it half full? And the rest of you aren't listening to me right now. Actually, I'm an opportunist. I drink the glass. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What are defeater beliefs? Defeater beliefs are this. Defeater beliefs are, I know that I should exercise and be healthy. I know that I should eat right 
But if that's the case, why is fried chicken so good? You hear me? If you see me running, I'm running from something. And you need to maybe check behind me because there's something chasing me if you see me running. See, I know in my heart the truth that we are to take care of ourselves, we're to eat healthy. I mean, I, I talked to our accountant, Kim Strickland, about keto diet. I still don't know what it is. <laughs> and fortunately, I'm one of those people that can lose weight quickly, but, man, I can find them, thing, them calories quick, too. Why is Taco Bell open so late at night? It tastes better at 11 o'clock. I'm just throwing that out there for each and every person in this room. But listen to me. In the same way that I know that to be true, sometimes I begin to believe the opposite and live out something different than what I say in my heart and in my mouth. I begin to live out something differently. So here it is. You have to deal with a defeater belief because if you're going to choose joy, there's always going to be something the enemy throws at you to try to defeat the joy in your life. Right as soon as I go on a diet, they put the Mexican pizza out at Taco Bell. I mean, like the next day they put a commercial, it's back. And, man, I've eaten those things way too many times over the last few months. But here's what we begin to say. Same thing that they said. And here's the thing. Religious people can take advantage of you when you're in a place in a state of saying something like this, God, I know you're for me, and who could be against me? But God, man, I also know it really hurt what they said and did. Are you with me tonight? Our joy that we know is tangible and real because it's a person can be defeated by something quickly coming into our heart and our mind that defeats what we know to be true. Just like I know it's true that I should exercise and be healthy, be it I'm at Taco Bell at 11 o'clock at night. You see? So when we struggle, listen to me, when we struggle back and forth, I say, God, I know that my sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, but I also know that there's a group of people that will never let me live down how I used to live. Are you hearing me? So here is why I think, Paul, to finish this up, we, we, joy is very real, and it's something God is an essential in our lives, that if we're going to walk the way God wants us to walk, we need to ask God, God, fill me with your joy. Not happiness, not about my circumstances, but a spiritual, genuine, how many have experienced a joy that you couldn't explain? I hope you have. I have too. There's, in the midst of my circumstances, there's just been a deep, tangible joy. And when I begin to lose that, I begin to get concerned. And the Holy Spirit always speaks to us. But here's why Paul begins to talk about dogs. Religion kills rejoicing. Are you hearing me? Religion kills rejoicing. And I'm not talking about good religion of discipline and applying yourself. I'm talking about those who teach self-salvation and righteousness. And don't miss what he is saying here. Paul is saying these dogs are making others feel defeated in their walk with God. The rest of the chapter is about Paul unloading on a group of people that came and stole their joy because they came with an image and a view of God that was not the truth of who God is. And that is what religion will always do because it's trying to get you to earn your way to heaven. And I've got news for you tonight. You can have the greatest joy you've ever walked out of this room with tonight because i got great news. You can't get in without faith in Him. You can't do it. 
That gives me joy. And he, he starts to unload on these people that had come in, and these people are, are, are doing just exactly what I was talking about a minute ago. God, I love you, but I still got some dark areas in my life. God, I believe that you're a healer, but the doctor I went and saw gave me the worst report I've ever heard. We've all been there, but we can still have joy because it's not about circumstances, and it's not about what that religious nut job told you about what you should do to earn salvation. It is a free gift. Man, if you can't get excited about a gift like that, you can't get excited about anything because my joy isn't in my circumstances. It's in a person who rose from the dead. Come on, somebody. The Bible says he, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Ghost and in Psalm 45, 7, with the oil of gladness more than his companions. Listen to me. This is my point. Stand up. This is my point. I wonder, and I don't want to be this person. I refuse to be. I refuse to be. I don't want to be the person that looks back. We start to get older and look back over your life. You begin to realize that I don't want to have a bunch of regrets when, I, when God calls me home. And I really truly believe that a regret that we will have is to look back and understand that we have missed out on years of pleasure and joy, afraid somehow that we would displease God. Paul gives his, and I'm wrapping up, Paul gives his, his credentials. He says, I was, a, I was a Pharisee of Pharisee. You want to talk about somebody that was religious and did everything exactly like God told him to do? This is your man. If you want to look at somebody that was, that was dotted every I and crossed every T, but what he's telling them is I didn't have joy. And the reason he didn't have joy is he, he probably would have put himself in the place of the dogs that he's talking about that infiltrated the church of Philippi. And he's probably putting them in their place because what did Paul do? Paul looked down on everybody else. And can I tell you what God will do if you look down on everybody else? He'll knock you off your high horse. And Paul's like, I can have joy and I can tell you to have joy in the midst of these circumstances and even in the midst of these people telling you you're nothing and you're all these different things because I was one of those people at one time. But oh, when I met him, come on. When I really met him on that road, when I really got to know who he is, when I really saw him, and what did he say to Paul? Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Because when the enemy comes against you, he's not just coming against you, he's coming against him too, and all the power of heaven. And that's why we can be filled with joy. See, the dogs are marked by their emphasis on human effort. They came into the church and said, listen, we're the standard... And the rest of you all are falling short. You know what that does? It steals your joy. I'll end with this. Paul said, I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. You can't get any more zealous than that. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. And listen to me, the demonic spirit of religious people, it manifests like a wild dog. Biting, devouring, criticizing, and shaming while beating them up, 
rather than building them up. If you want to have joy, you've got to choose it. It's got to be an essential in your life. And he says this in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Some of you are so busy looking back at at your life and regrets. And listen, religion will capitalize on that and it will keep you joyless. Listen, there's been enough joyless Christianity. You want to to see the church change the world? Have joy. Have peace in the face of everything going on. Have have a relationship with God that just, again, it's, it's your countenance can change. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for for Philippians 3. Lord, we say tonight with Paul, rejoice in the Lord. Lord, we tonight do not rejoice in circumstances. God, we certainly don't rejoice in the way that we see the world going because there's nothing to rejoice over. But God, we do rejoice because you have overcome the world. We do rejoice because, Lord, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life and not by our own works, but by the works of him who is righteous and holy and sinless. And that's you, Jesus. When we come to you, Father, may we always be reminded that you are the very source of joy. Father, I pray over this congregation tonight that you fill us with joy, that you fill us with your presence, you fill us with your peace, you fill us, God, with the goodness of heaven. And, Lord, keep the enemy's lies, keep the enemy's rebuke, keep the enemy's condemnation. Lord, if you want to convict something in our lives, we surrender ourselves to that conviction because it leads us to life everlasting. But, Lord, those in this room that have felt under a 10,000-pound weight of condemnation, I pray it would break right now in Jesus' name. As we repent and turn away from those things that displease you, we're coming to a God who accepts us, who brings us into the beloved, who wraps us in a robe of righteousness, who puts a ring of authority on our finger, and and who wants to have a sit-down meal with us. God, that is mind-blowing that you and you alone have made us accepted in the beloved. We are kings and priests according to your word. Lord, let that priestly anointing flow and let that authority kingly priest anointing flow upon the people tonight father god tonight we choose joy because joy is you and we love you dearly god let us not wreck on the side of the road where we are trying to continually find some kind of new way to gain your favor when it's something you have already placed us in by faith we thank you for that tonight lord god i pray blessings over christian center church i pray that they would be blessed here right now and blessed as they walk out the door, that, Lord, your hedge of protection would be around them continually, and you would send your guardian angels before them and behind them, Lord. God, we believe that everywhere we put our foot down is claimed for the kingdom of God. Lord, bless the people of God tonight, and may your presence go with them as they go, and may we enjoy the fellowship of the word and the preciousness of the Holy Spirit continually in our lives, God. Joy, I speak it 
over the lives of the people tonight. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed tonight. Good to see you in the house.